It's the JT the Brick Show. Open Adams at the 35, racing to the 20, 10, touchdown Raiders! Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Gets the snap, Raiders bring a blitz, he takes him off the middle, and he's wrapped up from behind. Guess who? Max Crosby! Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Spinning around, he throws it to Chandler Jones in midfield, and a step Jones racing towards the end zone. It scores! Oh my goodness! And now, here's JT the Brick. All right, it's hour number two of the show. Thanks for joining us and coming back. Brought to you by our great friends at Remy Martin, team up for excellence. Remy Martin and the activations we have with them this year from the Botanist Gym to the Tercet to all of their great brands. Remy Martin, proud partner of Raider Nation Radio. Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black, as he'll be on the call for the game on Sunday against the 49ers. He's going to join us. And Mark Anderson from the AP, who I've seen at a few practices. Looking forward to getting his perspective. Quarterbacks today. We're going to take all your calls on the quarterbacks today. Tomorrow, a few more. And then I will give the list out. The top three of all time. The next three and some honorable mentions, Chris in Sacramento, probably on some lake with a Raider Nation boat today. How are you, Chris? I'm good, man. How are you? Real good. Who do you got? You knew you knew all these guys personally, personally, so I, I can't imagine you putting this list together. Many of these guys were your friends. Yeah, you know, Carsey, the only one I never met, actually. Um, uh, and I didn't know Gannon at all. I met him a few times, and I, and Plunkett, you know, wouldn't know my name if I walked in the room. But, but LaMonica, Flores, and Snake, uh, you know, Kenny, as a little boy, when I was a little boy, he was my hero. I mean, I cried myself to sleep when Raiders would lose. And then I got a chance to meet him, and he just superseded any expectation I would ever have of him. I mean, the rare time where your heroes are actually better than what you thought. Kenny Staber was the, the greatest. I miss him dearly. Um, and is by far the number one quarterback on this list. Pluckett, Gannon. Gannon resurrected a dead organization, man. It was tough being a Raider fan. And when Gannon stepped in, we were relevant again. And I hated him as a chief. He killed us. And, um, you know, he's got to be in those top three. My, my next three are Carr. I'm a big Carr guy. Uh, LaMonica did amazing things back in the day. And the ultimate gentleman, Tom Flores, who, you know, a, a Hispanic kid coming out of, uh, uh, of UOP of all places, University of Pacific, which doesn't even have a football program. And to go in and, and start that organization and then be a part of it like he was for and still is, got to be on that list. My honorable mention, you know, as a Raider fan, you remember certain plays throughout history and you remember where you were and you remember what was going on. I live in Southern California. I went to that Charger Raider game in the old Jack Murphy stadium for 22 years in a row. Didn't miss a game. Half, you know, by the end it was 80% Raider fans. I remember specifically watching Jeff Hostetler on the first offensive play from scrimmage in 1994, hit Alexander Wright on a play action for 76 yards for a touchdown. It was insane. And watching those old games, I loved watching Hosteller play. Mm-hmm. So those are my top six, and Hosteller is my honorable mention. You got it, buddy. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate the call. Yeah, Hostetler's around. I'm, I'm, I would be shocked if he wasn't at Alumni Weekend this weekend because he's been coming back, and he's good to see. And Jeff Hostetler's career numbers from 93 to 96 
11,122 yards, and he had a pretty good run here. He had 69 touchdowns. Let me get his completion percentage here. Hostetler, 58.5. Not bad. Not bad. The only ones who were better than him was Carr at 64.6 and Snake at 59.9. Let's round it up to Snake at 60 and Gannon at 62.6. A nice run for him. No doubt about that there. And Host, Chris said he grew up a Stabler fan. My, my dad and mom remind me when I was a little boy, I grew up in New York, so I was a Giant fan, as many of you know, back then. And I'm a Raider fan, season ticket holder after 25 years, period. And I, when I was nine years old, there's a picture of me at home with my cousins with the snake jersey on. And I remember that time, but I don't remember specifically. And my dad said, you love the snake? And I did love the snake. Wasn't a Raider fan back then, but growing up in New York as a kid, the late game was always the Raider game. The late game in the afternoon, the late game was the Raider game. And it was always Stabler. Snow Raider has been on hold. We want to get him up on the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Who do you got? Hey, thanks, Bobby. Thanks, JT. Uh, you just took the words right out of my mouth, JT. I got Stabler, first Super Bowl I remember watching, them beating the Vikings when I was a kid. And you're right. I'm from the Midwest. I uh, That would be the late game. It'd be sunny in Oakland. They'd be beating up on somebody in those silver and black outfits. He's my number one. Number two, definitely Plunkett. He needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Number three, I got Flores. Not only as a quarterback, but other contributions as the coach and everything else. That may not count, but it does for me. Honorable mentions, I got Gannon, Daryl LaMonica, Blanda, who also played for the Bears, and then obviously Derek Carr. He gave us a lot of good uh, good wins. Um, by the way, I just followed you on Instagram, so thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. that. Um, in closing here, I just want to say our ships crossed the opposite way again. I just came back from Vegas last week. We were at the City National Ice Arena doing a hockey camp with my kid. Derek England was one of the coaches, Tyler Kennedy. We're just watching the – your hockey fans got to mm. keep showing up out there. There was no one watching these other players uh, practice. We had Zach Whitecloud out there, Logan Thompson, mm-hmm. Bill Kessel, even Ryan Reeves, the former uh, Golden Knight. He gave my kid a puck. There's maybe a handful of people there. People go out and support your mm. – Winning Stanley Cup champions, all right? Thank you, my uh, friend. Appreciate the call. Look, uh, we won the Stanley Cup, and uh, we, because I'm a Golden Knight fan, I've been wearing that hat. I got that gorgeous, i got to take a picture of it, that gorgeous Vegas Golden Knight limited, not limited edition, because every you should have it, Stanley Cup champ. Wore it back to New York, wore it in an airport. It's just unbelievable, the memorabilia and the new items that are coming up. Fantastic to be a Golden Knight fan here, man. I've been pushing for that Stanley Cup harder than anybody in this building, right? Anybody, including the hockey guys, because when they started, they were coming in to see me, and I was pushing this hockey team as hard as I could. One of the most fulfilling things as a fan is to win the Stanley Cup with an inaugural expansion team. One of the coolest things I've seen as a fan. Really great. Can they do it again? Yeah, because they were like a top three team in the league. Don't know if they can do it again, but they're not a team that's supposed to fall off a cliff. So it'll be fun to go back to the games this year. Uh, Big Jose in San Jose. Thanks for listening on the Raiders mobile app. Go ahead. Hey, JT. I want to start this first off by saying thank you to you for uh, providing your platform that you do on a daily basis. 
and I really appreciate the fact that you report from a position of knowledge and authority, and that you report with a great sense of integrity and pride in what you do. So I appreciate you very much. Thank you. That means a lot. Appreciate that. that. And my list goes Jim Plunkett, number one, Ken Stabler, number two, uh, Flores, number three, Gannon, and then LaMonica. But I want to also say that I got my love of Raider football and a special shout-out to a very unknown quarterback that played for the Raiders. It was a friend of my dad's, and my dad's golfing buddies, and that's how my dad became a Raider fan was Chon Gallegos. So I just, don't want, I just want to mention him as being a part of the Raider history. But for me, what really resonates was the story that you get with Plunkett and with Flores, myself being a Mexican-American from mm-hmm. East San Jose, much like, much like Jim Plunkett, and being, you know, a, a understanding the plight and the, and the path that t- Tom Flores took, being a family from a family of, of uh, field workers in the Central Valley and the obstacles they face. So for me, that just resonates because I could turn on the TV and see a guy that looked like me playing in the NFL and inspired me to do better and be better. So that's why I have it ranked that way. Mm. So thank you very much. appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you for mentioning the 40th all-time yardage, John Gallegos. Uh, look, he only threw for 298 yards and two touchdowns, but there in 1962. And how many games? He played six games. Six games there at a time that was important. When it comes back to some of the old-timers, Blander did some special things as a true backup. Flores, the first quarterback of all time. You know, Carr, Carr was an exceptional quarterback. Getting hurt really affected him. That was a huge turning point in his career, and he still played well after the injury. But for those who remember what Derek Carr looked like in 2016 before the injury, that was a big deal. Harry Ruiz the Latino voice of the Silver and Black, who is doing more and more and more and more and more with the team, also covering soccer and everything else he does in town. Did hockey this year. How are you, Harry? Doing all right, JT. Ready for the busiest Mm. five months of the year for me, but I'm ready for it. Well, it's good to be busy, especially in a sports radio and a sports content environment where some people who are very talented aren't busy. So you're able to handle it. You're able to take a lot more and put it on your plate, and you do a tremendous job. And I've seen you at a couple of practices here. I want to get back to the current content. How do you suggest that Jimmy G's okay if he throws four picks, but the defense made the plays? Aren't we more concerned about the defense showing a pulse and showing that they can catch the ball than worried about if Jimmy G throws a couple of picks at training camp? Yeah, that's what Raider Nation has been asking for, not for one year, not for two years, but pretty much the greater part of the last two decades. A defense that can operate in a way where it leaves uh, space for your offense to be able to function, even if they don't put 35 points on the scoreboard, to be able to get wins. And that's what I'm liking about this defense, and that's what I'm liking about Jimmy G as well. He's taking risks and putting the ball out there to put his their, his players in a position to make a play and if he does if he can't make a play that might leave an opportunity for one of the defensive players to make plays as well so i'm absolutely okay with it and no disrespect to Derek Carr i mentioned it on the show last mm-hmm. week i'm like he was training camp mvp he wouldn't throw a pick until Two yeah. days before training camp was over. I'm like, hey, you know what? What does it matter if that happens in training camp and then in week one against the Chargers, he throws three interceptions? Look, get the mistakes out of the way right now. Mm-hmm. That's what practices are for. And you get that on tape and you just fix it 
before the start of the season. Harry Ruiz joins us. So Byron Young came back to practice. I like Nestor Jade Silvera. I was with him at the rookie introduction at the luncheon at Allegiant Stadium. John Jenkins, Neil Farrell, who they got to get going. Tillery, Tillery, who does shine at times. Bilal Nichols, Adam Butler, Kyle Pico. When you look at the defensive tackles, I think they're starting to get a lot of respect because they're all pretty good. There's not an elite player in this group yet because Brian Young hasn't played a game in the league here, but you're at all the practices. Do you think the defensive tackles are going to show up this year? And with this rotation, there's a lot of them, so they should be able to rotate them in and out again. Absolutely, JT. And when you talk about this defensive unit that you need it to be one that functions as a unit, not just have Max Crosby having uh, games as a B- as the beast he is, or Chandler Jones having flashes here or there, you need everybody to be on the same page. And one thing that I loved about Jerry Tillery is that when he arrived to the Raiders last year, that kind of unlocks something within the guys in the middle because the pressure up through the center wasn't coming through. But when he arrived from the Chargers where he was at before that, it just kind of unlocked something. So now I'm interested in seeing with a full training camp under his belt, with more chemistry with his teammates, with Mm -hmm. the rest of the guys in the defensive line, that can unlock something else. And then you talk about the guys that were rookies last year, like Neil Farrow Jr. or Matthew Butler. It's like this is a show-out time for them because if they're not able to step it up, you got a hungry Byron Young right behind them. you got a hungry Nestor Jade Silvera right behind them, or Kyle Pecco, who was very, very solid last year when he was in silver and black. Mm-hmm. What I'm liking about this team is the depth, JT. In the past, we would talk about one or two deep. Right now, we're looking at this squad that they're building it through the draft mm-hmm. and with young guys that they can control. Harry Ruiz is our guest. Malcolm Kuntz is interesting to me because he can be one of those hybrid-type players, the same thing that we're looking for with the Divine Diablo. Uh, Kuntz has got to play himself onto this team and stay on this team, but Diablo, I would say, I haven't been at every practice, but he's the guy that I'm noticing the most just because of the strength and the way he's molded his body in the offseason. If he's completely healthy going into week one, and running downhill and stopping the run. I just don't know how good he's going to be in the pass because he's got to improve in that uh, portion of his game here. But I like what I've seen. What have you seen with him? The one way you do it, JT, is being on the field and Mm -hmm. sometimes committing those mistakes that we hope they happen in that practice field and not in the playing field. But you know it's not going to be a 100% effectiveness when it comes to any player on Mm -hmm. the field. But you want to have more positives than negatives. And with Divine Diablo, we've seen him bulk up. We've seen him look stronger. And you need that kind of frame when you go up against a tight end like Travis Kelsey that the Raiders face twice a year. So being able to see Divine Diablo evolve as a football player, that's a positive for the silver and black. And Malcolm Coons, I mean, this is a show up or show out time because it's like this kid, he had a flashy first year where when he came in, he was getting sacks. But then last year, he pretty much was Casper. He disappeared. Now we need him to show why the previous regime took him in the draft. And if he doesn't, if he isn't able to demonstrate what he can do. We already saw that this uh, McDaniels and Ziegler regime, they're not afraid of cutting out losses when it comes to draft picks from previous from the previous mm-hmm. draft. So um, Malcolm Coons, this is a very, very important training camp and a very, very important preseason for him. I'll wrap it up with Harry Ruiz. You know, the battle, the biggest battle in the whole camp is without a doubt Thayer Mumford and J- Jermaine Illuminor. 
at right tackle. I would rather see Illuminor move to right guard, but he, according to Twitter, doesn't agree with that and doesn't want to be there, and he wants to compete for right tackle. There's more money at that position if he perform well. He, he's pretty good. Either one of those players aren't elite. Either is Brandon Parker, who I get a chance to see from time to time. So that right tackle and then the swing right tackle and then who's going to play right guard if Alex Bars is the guy that was, ends up doing it or Van Roten, whatever's going to happen there on the right side is not the strength of this offensive line. I think it starts at Andre James at center. It moves to Dylan Parham to the left and Colt Miller at left tackle. How do you see the depth at the offensive line? I mean, you prefer it to be that way, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. strongest part of your line to be the one that's protecting the blind side of the quarterback. But at the same time, you want to have solid fellas on the right side. And Jermaine Luminor, his big Achilles heel last year was those false start penalties. He was one of the players with the most penalties in the NFL. He needs to fix that. Uh, Alex Bars, he was solid when he came through first, uh, coming out of Chicago, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and then uh, practice squad back into the active 53-man roster and just staying solid right there as the right guard. But that's what you want right now in that offensive line competition. Thayer Mumford, you look at his frame, you look at him in practice and you're like, damn, this guy is huge. Just like his his middle name, his middle name is LeBron. That guy has a LeBron James kind of height out there on the, on the field, like LeBron does have on the court. So Thayer Mumford, he has a great opportunity here. Last year, he had a lot of uh, swing tackle opportunities or jumbo packages opportunities. Now he's competing for that spot in the right tackle. And I mentioned it, it's Jermaine Illuminor's spot to lose. He has to remain in that top spot because if he doesn't, there's guys right behind him that are more than capable of being able to go in and be able to show what they can do. But this is the first time, JT, in a long time that I'm actually excited about preseason because Mm -hmm. in the past it was like, hey, you knew all the ones, but they wouldn't play. And then you had a lot of twos and threes that you were like, well, are they really going to make the roster? Now you actually got competition between the guys that are out there on the field, almost in every position. And that's just credit to Dave Ziegler and the champ and all the folks in the front office that are doing a good job in constructing a roster. That's just not built out of ones. You want to have those twos, threes, and fours uh, competing for spots. Hey, last one on a different topic with soccer. I know you love soccer and you're involved with the team here, but Lionel Messi, the goals he's scoring is against inferior competition, but they're still beautiful goals. These free kicks where he's going over the top and putting them in the corner. There's only a few guys who can do that. Everybody practices it. Anybody can do it in practice if you're a pro. But to do it in the game where everybody knows that Messi's not going to put it in the middle of the goal, he's going for the upper corner. It's incredible to me, Inter-Miami and the start that he's had. How is this affecting MLS? and the world of soccer here in America in general. It's a cheat code, JT, what Lionel Messi is doing right now on the pitch. And we had Carlos Bojorquez, the play-by-play announcer for Orlando, who called one of his, his game last week on the show on Friday. And he was just saying, like, this is impossible. It's like, how could this happen in the MLS? But it's actually happening. It mm-hmm. was something that the folks with Miami have been planning for over four years, figuring out a way to get Lionel Messi in the United States and specifically with mm-hmm. them. And they are right now, you look at the MLS standings, JT, they're the worst team in the league. But they they have this uh, mid-season tournament with Mexican teams, the League's Cup, where he's just been shining. And now it's, it's crazy. The Apple TV subscriptions for the MLS season pass have um, multiplied mm-hmm. in a ridiculous amount. The merchandising has been 
crazy. That's the mm-hmm. Lionel Messi impact. 13 years ago when it was David Beckham, or sorry, 16 years ago when it was Beckham, that was huge. This, it's on another level. You're talking about potentially the best soccer player, not of his era, but of all time, being out here in the United States with a lot of gas in his tank. I'll see you out of practice. Big week with the Niners coming to town. I know you're going to be busy. I'll see it on the field. Oh, the pitch. But I'll see you on the field, the practice field. Yes, sir. Así es, mi hermano. Muchas gracias, Thank you, my friend. Mi amigo, Harry Ruiz. Look what he's doing. He's making an impact in the Raider Nation, and we greatly appreciate that. 702-365-9200. Mark Anderson is going to join us next. Harry, brought to you by The Black Hole. Go to theblackhole.com. Become a member. Several people have become members since this partnership, and I love it. It's that easy. My buddy Mikey O, who calls the show a lot from Staten, Italy, he took a picture and screenshot of the black hole. He said, I got my gear. He became a member, and he's thrilled. He's walking around Staten Island telling everybody he's a member of the black hole because you are. If you sign up, if you want to become a member of the black hole, go to theblackhole.com right there on the homepage. Boom, become a member. Get all the deals that they have there. It's going to be important, especially home games and parties and traveling on the road. Be part of the community, the most notorious fans in all of football, the Black Hole, proud partner of Raider Nation Radio. And we appreciate their support. You better believe that. I got a lot of Black Hole memorabilia in my house because they are unbelievable and great to work with. Go become a fan at theblackhole.com. On October 25, 1970, 43-year-old George Blanda replaced injured Oakland quarterback Darrell LaMonica. The Raiders rolled to a come-from-behind win. All in all, in about the two and a half, three quarters we were in there, we moved the ball pretty well, scored 34 points, I think, and, and we beat them 34 to 14 or something like that. George Blanda, when he came into games, they were big games, and he won them. Where do you have him as the all-time quarterback in Raider history? It's tough. I don't know where to put him. I put him in the second category behind Snake and Plunkett and whoever you have three or four, which would be LaMonica or Gannon. I don't know how you could have anybody else at number three or four than Gannon, LaMonica, LaMonica, or Gannon. I don't know. And that's not good. I'm going to see Rich all weekend. It's no disrespect to LaMonica, who passed away, who I knew well, or Rich, who I'm going to see this weekend. There's a great list to be on. It's a great list to be on because we're talking about the all-time Raider quarterbacks. Mark Anderson in a moment. Just win Wendy. Wendy will be at that home opener for the preseason, I'm sure. How are you, Wendy? Hey, I'm good, JT. And I'm sorry that I didn't get to hear the last 45 minutes, but I heard your first half hour, and I was like, oh, my God, I hope I have a chance to call in before the end of the day. I wanted to give my list. You know, mm-hmm. I did see, um, I can't remember if I saw it live, but I saw highlights that I was around mm-hmm. when George Blander replaced Daryl LaMonica back then. I was a kid, you know, going to games with my dad, and I remember my dad loved George Blander, too. And I remember what, but I do remember seeing George Blander coaching Kenny Stabler, young Kenny Stabler, on the sidelines before he was taken over for LaMonica. Anyway, so my list is, you know... Number one, Kenny Stabler, Mm -hmm. for sure. Number two, Jim Plunkett. Number three, Derek Carr. And then we go 
Gannon LaMonica Blanda. And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. One, one more thing, and that is that there was a hope factor that Derek Carr brought to this franchise that we hadn't had in a long time. And that hope factor was there. Every time he made a two-minute drill and won the game in those first few years, mm-hmm. and then he was, he was the king of the two minutes until the end. But yeah. the, for some people, that disappointment factor knocked out their hope. And so mm-hmm. I'm just really hoping that Jimmy G does really well this year and we can bring mm-hmm. back some hope to the franchise. Right. And um, I'll see you there. I'll see you there. Take care, Wendy. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, where to slot Carr? I don't have Carr in the top three. I don't. I don't have Derek in the top three all time because of the, the fact that he didn't win a playoff game. But he was a hell of a quarterback, and I have him in the group, in that second group. And the point is, in the second group, I don't really rank him so much in order. We put him in that group, and they're very good quarterbacks. Derek Carr was a very good quarterback for the Raiders. Could he have been great? Yeah, as I bring in Mark Anderson. And, Mark, before we get to the current team, uh, you've been covering sports a long time as we put this list together. I still have, I struggle with Carr because Carr put up the most numbers in Raider history by a lot. 217 touchdowns, 35,000 yards, but he didn't win one playoff game, and it's hard to rank him high in Raider history without a playoff win. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and it's a different era now, too, from mm-hmm. when Stade were and Plunkett played, you know, obviously. So um, you, you can't really compare Carr's numbers to their numbers. And, I'm with you. I mean, what Stabler and Plunkett did—that's they're they're in another category. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I I'm, I'm a big Derek Gar- Carr guy, uh, probably more than most people. Um, but he had what two playoff appearances in, mm-hmm. in nine years. So, I mean, you just can't put him in that upper level with those guys. That I mean, Stabler and Plunkett, iconic in this franchise. And I just I just don't think you know. I think they're they're where they, they belong. All right, give me a few things you saw at camp that's different because, you know, you hang out and you're around and you work hard like a lot of the other insiders and those who are covering the beat. Are, are there things that you disagree with with what you're hearing about nationally or something that you see differently with what other people haven't seen? Give me a couple of camp notes from you. Well, it seems like the roster's somewhat solidified. I'm mm. more than I probably thought it would be at this point. I, I know there's uh, there is a, a, a bat, you know, one or two offensive line battles, but generally speaking, you know who the, they're going to be. Um, you, I think you know the the, the secondary. I think is pretty well in place now. Um, you know, the, I think the linebackers are too. Um, you know, we'll see when Tyree Wilson comes back um, where he can fit into that rotation. But I I, I guess I thought there'd be a few more position battles at this point than there really are. Um, and I've I've come around a little bit more on on the chances of this team making the playoffs, um, mm-hmm. just because I think there's so much firepower on offense, um, you know, and I and I do think the defense is going to be better. I, how much better I don't know, uh, but I do think it, I think it's going to be better. Um, my big question though still hasn't changed, and that is Jimmy Garoppolo's health. Right. I, I you know, you know that to me is the key. If he if he start if he plays the whole season. They got they, they got a shot at the playoffs. If he doesn't, mm. then 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 I think they're in big trouble. So I think that's really what it comes yeah. down to. Mark Anderson joins us from the AP. Very very interesting what you said on defense. Here's here's my issue with being at uh, some some practices, looking around. I I know with Epps, Merrig, Jacorian Bennett, and Marcus Peters, that is better than what they've had out there. Period. It's better. Now that should lead to more interceptions. Don't know how many. 
more big plays over the middle of the field and less missed tackles. So I think they're going to be better there. I just don't know how much better they're going to be in the middle of the field where the linebackers reside. Tyree Wilson, I'm expecting the best. Chandler Jones will start faster because he got annihilated by the media for the slow start. I can guarantee you Chandler Jones is going to come out with his hair on fire because of the heat he took last year, and Max looks incredible. But can those linebackers run with tight ends, tackle sideline to sideline, and clean up the middle of the field, which was a mess last year? No, I'm completely with you on that. I, I that that is still the big question, um, and I do think I think their basic defensive set's going to be a nickel look. I just feel that way. It just seems like every time I look out there, you got you, they, you got the three corners and the two safeties with uh, with Hobson in the back of the slot corner, which I think the right spot for him. I think he's much better there than a boundary corner. Um, but yeah, I mean. When I say better, I don't. I, I don't think they're going to be the '85 Bears, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's not really what the Raiders need them to be right now. They just they just need to be the type of defense where the offense doesn't have to win a shootout every week. Mm-hmm. And and if they can get there to that point where the offense can can you know win a 21 to 17 game, then I think I think that's notable improvement. Mark Anderson, as we wrap it up, you know, I, I look at what's going on with this team and the culture, the culture around this team. To me, the culture is all these guys work really hard. Garoppolo's a great teammate. Not good, he's a great teammate. Mad, they had Mad Max, I'm sure you saw it, mic'd up the other day. You can't get a guy in the entire league that into practicing. I'm sure there's plenty at that level. J.J. Watt, when he was in the league, Mahomes with Kansas City, has that every day. The Raiders have that. With Max Crosby bringing that attitude in and out of the locker room, in and out of workouts, weight sessions, meetings, you have to get in line with that. Like you cannot, If you're not in line with what Max's behavior patterns are, all the time he's in the building, he beats everyone to the building, reports are he stays later. If you're not one of those guys trying to be Max Crosby, I think you stick out like a sore thumb. I do too, and... and- and I like the way he celebrates his teammates' accomplishments. That's one thing I've noticed in camp is when someone makes a really good play on defense, he will go up and let that player know it. And nothing builds cohesion more than that. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, the, your best players always set the tone. And and um, and if you're if you're in the habit of you know arriving just in time to get treatment for practice and leaving 10 minutes after practice ends and mm-hmm. that's not going to fly. It's just not going to fly. So yeah, I, I think, I think if you can get no, you can't, I don't think you can get a whole team to with his commitment. Mm-hmm. I think just think he's on a whole other level. There's very few people in, in any sport with his motor, but if you can get people at least within the same area code of him, you can get a lot accomplished that way. I agree. Lastly, we found out through Ian Rappaport that Denver is going to play Russell Wilson quickly in the preseason. What, what does that say to you that he's going to play and he's a perennial or potential, excuse me, Hall of Famer? He's on the edge of the Hall of Fame if he can clean this up. Do you think there's a big risk for them doing that and putting him out there in the preseason, or it's a must to get him into the rhythm of Peyton's offense? Uh, you know, normally I'm, I, I'm with you. I think you don't play your star players like mm-hmm. that, your star quarterbacks. But in this case, uh, I think you almost have to. Um, yeah, I agree. Considering, yeah, considering the season is coming off the new system, and you know, and I, and I know Peyton, 
went way out of his way to try to take the heat off Russell Wilson, but I'm a I'm a person that thinks you you know look at actions, not words. Mm-hmm. And his actions of playing Russell Wilson tells you he's concerned. Yeah, you know? that's a really good. That is a really good point by you. That's why we have Jan. He could be concerned and needs to get him in a rhythm in a game quickly to give him the next level of that playbook. Mark, it's a busy week with the Niners coming in. I'll see you about uh, out of practice a few times. I look forward to it, JT. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Mark Anderson's really good. Again, I have him on for a reason. He is a unique, really connected, sharp guy when it comes to all sports. And now covering the Raiders beat for the AP. Fantastic. Interesting point he said. That was him. We know that Russell Wilson's going to play in the preseason. Why? That's a fair point. I don't think Denver's good on offense unless Russell Wilson is up to speed, because I don't think they have tremendous skill set players. They have a few, but they are not loaded like the Raiders. If you if you put Russell Wilson in his prime on the Raiders' offense now with Devontae, Hunter, Jacoby Myers, bringing in a guy like Trey Tucker with the leading rusher, how good would Russell Wilson be? He didn't have that talent in Seattle on offense. It was always a legion of boom. L-O-B! The legion of boom in that defense. And Russell Wilson playing well. God, the Raiders need that game. That Denver game is massive. Oh, if they can just come out fast and go up 17-3 or 14-7, take the crowd out of the game, it'd just be an important game for the Raiders to come out before the gauntlet, which is Western New York and Buffalo for the Bills' home opener. All right, we want to qualify you for four tickets to an Aviators game. That's simple to do. But then you have a uh, shot at winning the grand weekly prize, the prize trip. This week, five days jazzing it up in New Orleans, one of my favorite cities, including a show on a riverboat, swamp tour on an airboat, and $1,000 spending money. Or you can test take the 3000 cash. Take the trip or take the cash. Thanks to Gettle Air Conditioning and Plumbing, G-O-E-T-T-L, We'll keep you cool, but it's hard to spell. Ninth caller. Ninth caller at 702-365-9200. Then please get out of the way and get the quarterback callers going again. (laughs) For a guy who blanks and moans about having great calls, we have great calls here. You know, we have great calls, and I've taken more than anyone in Raider history. This promotion of the all-time team brought out the best of the best in the Raider Nation fans who called in, and I greatly appreciate that. Thanks to the M Resort. Spawn Casino. Plunkett on a straight drop back. Here comes the rush. Steps up. Can't find anybody yet. Tits off running to the left. Rolls on the move. And it's caught by Tim at the 40. Bill King on the call. Raiders have had great play-by-play voices. They have. No doubt about it. JT back with you as we wrap it up here in a little bit. If you want to get through on the quarterbacks, last call, 702-365-9200. So here's what we got heading into tomorrow. We'll we'll release this, tweet it out, and it'll be done with our all-time team. It looks like it's Stabler and Plunkett, one and two. Uh, It seems the debate topic seems to be, who do you have at number three? Carr has overwhelming stats compared to Gannon and LaMonica. But as Raider 66 said earlier in the broadcast, Daryl LaMonica is number two all time in the history of the sport, dating back to leather helmets 
winning percentage. He was 62, 16, and 6. I still can't figure out the six, the six ties. That's fascinating to me because Stabler only had one tie. Snake was 69, 26, and 1. Tom Flores' record was 30, 31, and 3. So there haven't been many ties in Raider history, and all of them seem to go to Daryl LaMonica, how he had all those ties in those great games that were close games. What, what would say if he won five out of six of those ties? Would that have been enough to have the all-time winningest percentage over Otto Graham? Uh, my calculator can't figure that out this quickly. So I'm leaning towards LaMonica over Gannon by just a thread, or Gannon over LaMonica by just half a thread. I mean, how do you figure it out? They both had really good numbers, and they both won a lot, and they both were great Raiders. And then in my second group of that, whoever it's going to be, say it's say it's Gannon, Carr, and Flores. Is anybody going to argue that? I don't think anybody would argue that. But then I have to have a bunch of honorable mentions because i got to get some other guys in who played well. So that's where we stand on this. We'll have that tomorrow. Thanks for playing along all summer long. Uh, Thanks to Harry, who was in for me at the end of last week. And I'm pretty much here the rest of the way, I believe. And I'm traveling with the Raiders, with the Raiders broadcast. So I'll be in L.A. next week as we travel to Los Angeles. And then I travel to Dallas with the team. So very excited about that to get on the road with the Silver and Black and also going on the road for a couple of uh, nice road games this year, which is going to be really cool. Love being on the road. Don't mind that type of travel at all, and then we have some added responsibilities during the year with a new TV show that I'll be doing along with the coaches show with Josh McDaniels every week. That's part of the Silver and Black show, and I'll sit down with the head coach every week. And he's been he's been honest, he's been upfront, and they got to win. And I got to sit in that seat every week, so I'm hoping that they win because <laughs> it's not a hot seat, but it's the type of seat where you want to talk about victories and great moments. Speaking about victories or lack thereof. The United States women's national team lost in the World Cup, and they lost in dramatic fashion because they just didn't score a goal in regulation, and then they lost on penalties. Megan Raponi missed the net completely. She's getting lambasted on social media. Disappointing. The women are the best. This has been the best soccer team in the world, the women's side, and they come up short. Harting. You've got to be kidding. Well, they're waiting. They're going to check. VAR can intervene. I couldn't tell from here. I thought it was going in, but it happened so quickly. Wow. Sweet wins. So we end up losing there. Fox on the call. That hurts because our women have a chance to win the World Cup all the time. And when they lose, our men aren't going to win the World Cup. Our men aren't going to win the World Cup with some of the powerhouse teams that are out there. You never know. Maybe a couple World Cups from now we're playing better and better. But that was disappointing. I have a theory in life because I grew up with my grandmothers. My grandmother lived with me. My mom. And I don't have a brother. I have two sisters. I treat women all the time with respect. I would never go on the Internet and mock a woman for losing. And I cannot believe all the gutless men on social media going after these women. I don't like Megan Raponi at all. I don't like her at all. But some of the things that are being said about her are repulsive by men. 
And that's the, that's the sewer of social media. And these are men that don't mind hiding their name, too. It's like you're going to go after a woman who's playing soccer and played at the highest level and lost. She's won the Golden Boot. She's won World Cup. She's won at the highest level here. And again, I'm not a fan of hers, but she's getting ripped. And when it comes to that going forward, it's the same thing with women's UFC. I will not watch it under any circumstance as I shared the story to our new audience. When I went, I, forget, I think it was the McGregor, one of the McGregor fights, might have been Diaz, whatever it was, where the women were fighting in the octagon and all the men were screaming at the women and ripping up their tickets. I think Holly Holmes lost, and I'll remember it vividly. A guy, when she came out of the octagon, a guy ripped the ticket gambling ticket in front of her face. And I just told my friends, if I ever come, I'll be in the concourse. Get me a vodka soda. I'll meet you on the first level. I will not watch it. Not because I don't want to see the women compete. I think the women competing in boxing is a beautiful thing. And UFC, I will not watch it because of the behavior of the Neanderthal men who are gambling and yell at the women. Yell at the women in the octagon. That to me, it's repulsive. And I felt the same way watching the Women's World Cup loss when I opened up my Twitter and I started looking at the comments. I'm like, really? I mean, I'm not perfect by any means when it comes to that, if you floated into my DMs over the years. But it comes to the point where it's like, leave the ladies alone. They've done nothing but try to compete. Are they controversial? Are they trying to get equal pay? That's not controversial. They want to make more money. They're better than the men. But the men draw more. They have far superior ratings and more people watch, but they're fighting to make more money. And I watched the Jake Paul fight against Nate Diaz, and that brought joy to me for one reason. My son, my youngest son, who's 20, had about six, seven friends over. So we cooked out some steaks, meet up Vegas. I sent out the tweet, cooked them up a whole bunch of steaks. They had some dinner with us, and then they went upstairs in our sports room to watch the fight, and I went in with those. So the six guys who are 20. Okay, well, I'll just leave it at that. And they're there, and they loved it. And I'm sitting here going, I don't love this. Nate Diaz isn't a boxer. He's an MMA fighter. What the hell is he doing in there with this other guy, the YouTube influencer? And Paul almost knocked him out in the first minute of that fight, but then Nate Diaz went the distance. And Nate Diaz put on a hell of a show late. He looked like a punching bag in the first round, and then he had no power in his punches, but he said, he hung in there. He was very tough. And... To look around in a room of people that didn't grow up. My sons didn't grow up with Hagler Hearns, Ali. But I've showed it to them on YouTube. Tyson fights and all that. So they like boxing. But they're much more into MMA. And they love these crossover. Take a YouTube boxer and put them in there with someone famous. Oh my God, I didn't realize it. The kids love that. That younger demographic. I went into it not liking it and no expectations. And I walked out of the room and I told my wife, you know, they had a blast in the other room. They were just having fun like kids do. So it's a different era, man. Errol Spence and Bud Crawford, there was no buzz for that fight. It should have been the best fight we've seen in a decade. Crawford dominated the fight. But I think, Bobby, when we go back, we have to understand that with the Dana White and what he's done for the MMA, which has been historic, and what young people watch, okay, we could fight about get off my lawn with the music they listen to or this, but you take a YouTube influencer like Logan Paul or Jake Paul and have them fight some washed-up old UFC or boxer, people are going to watch that now. I'm holding on to my money for the Musk versus Zuckerberg. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Team Zuck, and I, I like them both, <laughs> but I'm Team Zuck. Hey, you want to hear the best highlight of the whole week? Yes, play Check it. Check this out. 
and another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Now Hosey and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. Down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. Ramirez went in. That was a great call. An unbelievable call on the Guardians radio network. And Anderson hit the threw the first punch and connected. He just got Ramirez threw a haymaker and knocked him out. But then Anderson got up and wanted to fight again. That was a good baseball brawl. That was good. Really good. God, my Yankees are despicably bad. Oh, I'm just just having a really rough time doing something I enjoy. I love watching my Yankees. And how about what the Dodgers did to the Padres? Padres are wearing these uniforms that are pink and lime green. And the Dodgers are just punching them in the face. So Padres are on life support. The Mets quit. Wild, wild year in baseball. All right, tomorrow I got a double. I'll do Mad Dog Sports Radio 9 a.m. to noon on Sirius X82. Then Bobby and I will take over here noon to 2. We'll do that, and then we'll lead up to the practices and what's going to happen over at Raiders camp as the 49ers come to town. Hope everyone's excited this week. You have an opportunity to see the Raiders play in an important preseason game. There's going to be good competition in that game. A lot of young Raiders are going to get a lot of time. And the Niners have a better roster, so the Raiders are going to be going up against good competition. Going to be a fun week here. Q's on deck. He always has a great show.